We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, hey. welcome back. To- oh my god! <laughs> well, the guy that doesn't know it's Easter today freaking cut me off. Anyway, hello, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. This is Tyler, and today we've got a packed episode for you guys. Jason and Steven, how are you doing today? I'm doing, doing good great. on this Easter Sunday that I obviously knew about. Uh, yeah, I'm ready to sit down and eat some good Easter Sunday dinner. Oh, absolutely! That's the best part. What do you right, have today? For, what do you have for Easter Sunday? Like, what what dinners do you have on Easter Sunday? Um, it's Bloody. pretty similar to other holidays. It's ham, mashed potatoes, Aww. all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. My mom's making all roast beef and tarts and pies and all sorts of what's a tart? Colorful things like a fruit tart sort of thing. Like you bake the dish and it's like a it's, min- like, it's like a mini cake. Oh, yeah. That's Mini cakes, roast beef. I'll send you guys a picture. Anyway, today we got a jam-packed show. We're going to talk about XFL's offensive tackle Storm Norton. He signed to a two-year deal. Then we're going to talk about some of the pre-draft visits the Chargers have had. Then we have an interview with the Athletics' Daniel Popper. And finally, for the main part of the episode, we will have Jason and Steven uh, have a debate regarding players they differ significantly on. So that'll be really fun. But first, let's get to that signing. The Chargers signed offensive tackle Storm Norton to a two-year deal. What do you guys make of that? So uh, a lot of people reached out and asked us about this. Um, I just think it's more of a depth signing and more of a sign of them having confidence in switching positions for Trent Scott or Sam Tevy. Um, Ultimately, I'm not sure if both of those two stay on the roster, especially if they draft a guy or uh, sign a Jason Peters type. 
Um, but I think this means that they have confidence that one of Trent Scott or Sam Tevy will be able to switch to guard. Because I can't imagine them keeping both of them, signing Norton, who has a great name, uh, and drafting a tackle, which we at least think that they'll do in the later rounds. Um, but this is good depth. You know, he's not worse than Trent Scott. He's not worse than Sam Tevy. So, you know, the depth of the tackle position should be significantly improved from last season's mess of a tap of a tackle room. So yeah, Storm Norton, for me, it just spells out a guy who's going to come in and compete for that left tackle position. Um, Storm Norton was, I watched the Wildcats um, since the day they were created, which wasn't that long ago. Um, and to the very day that died, which wasn't very long ago. Sad. Um, and Storm Norton just brings you somebody who really just has a really big wingspan. He's going to kind of create this brick wall along the left tackle position. He's really big. Um, I believe he's 6'8", 6'7". I believe he's in that territory. So um, a lot of people like Kai Becton because of his size. And I don't think he brings the potential of that. But Storm Norton does have a really, really strong... He he has like this really strong, unique style to him um, where he does have mobility you'll see him go downfield and block guys like 30 30 yards downfield um and you'll just see him make really good plays if you can compete in the xfl and be the best player which i believe storm norton was in my opinion he was the best player in the xfl even over pj walker um then there's still there's obviously something to work with there right i mean as long as you have these tools you just gotta get the awareness out of them you have a can he understand the scheme? Can he understand these these stunts? Um, I believe he's athletic enough to play at the NFL level. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be playing for a starter spot. I mean, obviously, Lynn values competition. So, I mean, we'll just see with him. Is it going to be between him and Trey Pipkins? Or is it going to be between him, Trey Pipkins, and Andrew Thomas, Jason Peters? Uh, so right now, it's just really hard to tell. But if I was looking at the roster right now as it was, and it was not changed at all, I would probably say he starts at left tackle over Pipkins. You think, I think so? He could stand there, right, and do nothing and probably be better than how Trent Scott was last season. Uh, well, that's just true. because just because <laughs> of his uh his length. You know, he offers mm-hmm. like a lot of security there on that left side. Uh, you got you got to work to get around him. And so it it's just it's going to be interesting the battle between him and Pipkins for maybe a backup spot behind whoever they pick up you never know at this point man there's still a lot of offseason left you think that even with this signing that they're going to take a guy that could also start over pipkins see that's the question isn't it like are they going to take a guy early i i'm starting to think that less and less yeah with the addition of storm norton and then you had um brian bulaga picked up I think what you're going to see is a guy taken in day four or five, not not day four or five, round four or five, maybe day four or five, maybe a UDFA. You never yeah, know. Exactly. Um, like around four or five guy, like Robert Hunt that offers versatility. Um, maybe not like a pure offensive tackle early because with the injuries like between Bulaga who has an injury history and then Lamp who has an injury history both are probably starters next year and so you'll you'll want a versatile guy to be able to swap between those spots I was just going to say ultimately I think what they take in round two or three is just going to be best player available so in a situation like if Denzel Mims is on the board in round two like I would 
think that that would be tough for them to pass up on or Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray. Um, if there's an elite talent in round two that they think uh, has that really high grade and high potential, I would have a hard time believing they pass it up for uh, an offensive tackle. But if all those guys go in the first round, you know, Brandon Ayuk goes in before them and Mims goes before them and Ezra Cleveland or Josh Jones is sitting there, then yeah, I could see them taking a left tackle in, in the second round. Um, it's just going to depend who is there. I, I agree with Jason, though. I'm kind of leaning uh, to them taking an offensive tackle in round four or five or maybe even six. Um, you can get a guy like Hakeem Adenji in the fourth, and I think that's a good depth sign, a good depth pick. Or, you know, they met with Cameron Clark from Charlotte in the sixth round. I think that's a good good selection as well. Well, that's kind of the thing as well, too, is if you look at the people they have visited with outside of Mekhi Becton, you know, you got Kevin Dotson, Charlie Heck, um, Ben Barch, and then uh, Cam, what was his? Cameron Clark. Cameron Clark, sorry, I was looking for his name. Um, those are all mid to late round guys. Those yeah. those aren't day two guys. I don't know if they have met with Ezra Cleveland. Um, ben Barch might be a second round pick. I would think he'd be a little bit later in the second round, but you never know. Um, I would I would spend the thirty seventh pick on Ben Barch, but I know most people probably wouldn't agree with me. Yeah. So as far so, as like their visits and the offensive line goes, like Ben Barch and Mikai Becton and Nick Harris are really the only ones that I am seeing on this list that would go before round three. Well, let's get into those visits because there's a lot of visits. Jason, you put together a list of more visits than I thought even happened, but here they are, a whole page and a half for me. Uh, are there any ones, because I know you wanted to talk about this, are there any ones that really stick out to you or maybe like a pattern, like you were mentioning, some day three or later offensive linemen, anything that stands out to you? So there's a couple things I notice here. One, they did their homework on a couple mid-round D tackles. Um mm-hmm. One of them being Neville Gallimore, the other being McTelvin Aguim. And that's it's kind of interesting to me because they did pick up Linval Joseph and they spent a first on Jerry Tillery the year prior. Uh, they have Justin Jones that they spent a third round pick the year prior to that. And then they have Cortez Broughton, who they spent a seventh on, I believe, last year. So that's already a lot of that's money spent on Linval Joseph and that's draft capital spent on three guys. So the that they're doing the homework on a Neville Gallimore, which it is worth noting that I think they talked to him prior to signing Linval Joseph. I can't confirm mm. that at the moment, but I believe it was. Um, so it is it is interesting to me that they're they're still doing their homework on D tackles. I mean, you can't go wrong with it. I just don't think it's a position of huge need right now. And then. Um, in terms of wide receiver, they're doing their homework on a lot of seventh round to undrafted guys. Not so much like there's no yeah. Brian and Ayuk. There's no um, Denzel Mims. There's no Jalen Rager, Denzel Mims. There's it's it's a lot of like I'll name a couple names here: Malcolm Perry out of Navy, uh, Joe Reed out of Virginia, so Keith Gavin out of Florida State. These guys, I've I haven't watched the film on them to be honest. And I tried looking for a couple of their reports on various sites, and I just I can't find them. Like their existence is, they they don't. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Are they targeting a mid round receiver? You don't know. The Chargers are really like they keep stuff close. They don't like to let stuff out there. Like that kind of gives away what their plan could be. Um, 
So that's another interesting bit that they're going after these these late receivers. Well, I like um, uh, Malcolm Perry. He's listed as a running back on some sites too. So uh, he played mm-hmm. quarterback for Navy, obviously, and that's the the spot for them that really is is the main focal point of the rushing offense. So um, adding a guy like Malcolm Perry would be really interesting because a lot of Chargers fans have you know mentioned the desire to have like a more of a gadget type receiver slash running back and kind of replicate what the Niners have in uh, Debo Samuel. And so Malcolm Perry would be really interesting as like a seventh round pick. He's shifty. He's quick. I like him. Uh, I can see the potential there. Uh, it, it just would be really kind of tough for me to envision him full time as a receiver. I think as a running back, you know, you can get him 10, 15 snaps as a running back and he would be okay. Um, but putting him 100% at receiver would be a little dicey for me. So if you include him, and you've got Corbin on this list, Moss, Evans, and Olonulua, sorry, at running back, do you guys think they're actually going to take a running back at this point? Or are those guys more, except for Moss, obviously, and maybe Evans, are they more pushing undrafted free agent territory? I think all, I think a lot of those guys are actually like round four-ish. Even okay. Zach Moss at this point, after the combine, I wouldn't be surprised if he slipped to like round three, four. You know, they're, they're going after a specific style of running back right here. And... Um, definitely going for a lot of balance you know all these guys have a lot of balance and in the case of Darrington Evans you have a lot of elusiveness along with that balance and you have good speed with him as well um so this kind of confirms what we were thinking about that I was trying to tell tell people a while ago with the AJ Dillon thing they're not going to be looking for a power back in a zone scheme with Tyrod Taylor it's not going to happen um that doesn't fit you're looking for your LaShawn McCoys, your Austin Ecklers, your your Justin Jacksons. You're not looking for AJ Dillons. You're not looking for more Melvin Gordons. That's not that's not what's happening here necessarily. That's more of a power running scheme, and that's not something you're going to run with Tyrod Taylor. That's what the Browns tried to do. They tried to run a power running scheme with Tyrod Taylor, which is a terrible idea. Um, so it's good to see that the Chargers are doing their homework on running backs that fit the system instead of trying to just oh, well, we don't have a power back, so we should go get one. Uh, it's not necessarily how that works. Yeah. So there's, a there's I would say I like a Malcolm Perry as a UDFA. Darrington Evans is probably more of a round three. Um, and then you've got Zach Moss is probably a round three. So it's a lot of range here. They're just kind of like looking around, um, you know, probably in case Darrington Evans falls to like the fifth, they'll probably take him in the fifth or even the fourth maybe. Um, the same with Zach Moss. I imagine if Zach Moss is available in round four, they're probably like, well, that's might as well. I mean, he's yeah. one of the better players on the board, so go for it. But I, I've said this before. I wouldn't take a running back before round seven. Yeah. With Moss and, uh, I'm not even gonna try and say his name. Sewu from TCU. Um, they can be power backs. You know, that's the distinction here that Jason is making is that they can do the power stuff, which Chargers fans want. But that's not the only thing that they can do, which is A.J. Dillon is only a power back. So I think that both of them would fit the scheme. Um, I'm actually a bigger fan of TCU's other running back, Darius Anderson, as, as far as his fit in L.A., but I wouldn't mind uh, Sewo, whatever his last name is. I'm sorry, I can't say it. Um, but you can kind of tell the the rounds that they're targeting players. Like you can see from this list, um, they're either – going to take a quarterback early you know they visited with justin herbert jordan love they've also visited with uh james morgan late tommy stevens late um so they're doing their homework similar with 
the offensive tackles they met with some early, some late, but then receiver and running back, it's almost looking like exclusively like day three type players. So um, that'll be interesting to see. And as far as like defensive players go, you know, they're kind of all over the map. They met with a lot of players um, early and late, you know, um, Logan Wilson is a guy that Jason really likes that would certainly fit the scheme. And I think Logan Wilson would be a, a good addition in round two or three. Uh, same with Chris or I like Chris or a lot, mm-hmm. the linebacker from Wisconsin. I think he, as far as a Mike linebacker, I think he's exactly what you want as a Mike linebacker and would be a great replacement for Denzel Perryman. You know, he's really a downhill type aggressive attack to run player. And I think Chris or would be a great pick. He'd be um, a later guy too. Maybe yeah, probably like round six, round five, yeah. maybe. I could see him going a little higher, though, being out of Wisconsin, and he's pretty freaking good. So I could see him going actually like early as round two with how this linebacker class shapes up. Yeah, and you know, we'll hear in uh, my interview with Daniel Popper, but uh, he thinks that they're going to target a linebacker early, and I think um, with Logan Wilson or Chris Orr, you know, you can potentially see them being taken in round three, and um, yeah, I think that those players would be really good fits. All right, well, speaking of which, let's get into that interview that Steven had with Daniel Popper. Take a listen. All right, Chargers fans, we're really excited to be joined today by Daniel Popper of The Athletic, who is covering the L.A. Chargers. Uh, Daniel, how are you doing today? Not too bad. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. You know, first of all, uh, how are you and your family dealing with uh, the coronavirus situation? Um, well, yeah, my girlfriend is a pediatric ICU nurse, so it's been a little bit of a nerve wracking month for us, um, out here in LA, but luckily, uh, you know, kids and Los Angeles in general haven't been hit particularly hard compared to other places like New York. So, uh, we've been getting by all right. Um, you know, my, my whole family's back on the East coast in Connecticut. So I've been missing them and, and, you know, doing zoom happy hours. And we actually did a zoom Passover Seder last night. So just trying to stay in touch with everybody and, you know, staying home and staying safe as best I possibly can, which I recommend everyone really does during this trying time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, obviously we want to give a shout out to your girlfriend and really all the nurses that are uh, on the front lines in this uh, crazy time. So with this, you mentioned the Zoom thing, you know, this draft is really going to be unprecedented with, you know, the, the NFL front office is not being able to uh, meet in person and obviously you know there's not gonna be any fans there's not gonna be any kind of physical draft but beyond that how do you see this really impacting NFL GMs as far as the thought process of who they decide to draft yeah I don't know if it's gonna have a huge effect on sort of the process of planning for the draft um, you know I think Tom Telesco and, and if we're talking about the Chargers are gonna approach it the same way they've always approached it they're gonna rank their players and they're gonna you know, do their best to, to balance finding best player available and, and need. I don't think that's going to change too much. You know, the logistics of how they go about making the picks, how they communicate with the scouts and the rest of the front office, um, all the personnel guys, that's where it's going to be a little bit tricky. They're going to be obviously on Zoom or, or some form of video communication um, and, and trying to communicate. It's, it's a lot different than what it normally is when you're in a war room and you have everybody you could possibly need in one place from ownership to you know, your, your front office guys, to your, to your coaches, to, to whoever you really need to speak to, they're all right there, right in front of you. So there's no issue with the communication. You're talking face to face, you know, so, but now all these teams are going to be relying on technology to communicate, you know, will there be hiccups in the technology? You know, will that prevent teams from making 
trades on draft day. Um, that is a, is a good question. I think it will. Um, you know, on top of that, you know, how much preparation our team's going to do in terms of trades? Will they be doing a little, will they be a little more active in having trade discussions and having trades in place before the draft starts this time around just to make sure that those options are available to them and that they're not having, having to rely on this communication on draft day? Um, so it's really going to affect sort of the logistics of how it plays out. I wouldn't say it's going to affect the preparation or how these guys go about making their picks uh, in terms of the players they're looking at. Yeah, that totally makes makes sense. I hadn't really thought of the whole trade aspect, but um, you know that does bring up the topic of uh, the first round and how we think that the team is going to address this. I think well, I know for a fact that you want them to draft a quarterback at six, and I think that's the right decision. Do you think that's where the team is leaning, though? It seems like there's been a lot of um, kind of mixed signals around how they feel about this first round. What do you think they ultimately end up doing in that first round? Ultimately, I think they take a quarterback, but but as I'm sure you know, these are the the times of smoke screens and diversions and all sorts of those things. So, I mean, it's it's in the Chargers' interest for other teams to think that they're not going to take a quarterback. It's in their interest to have other teams think that they really believe in Tyrod Taylor and that they could potentially go in another direction. Um, you know, I've written this before. The more other teams are guessing, the more you, that is to your advantage as as an NFL organization. Um, you don't want people knowing exactly what you're going to do because that gives you more flexibility and you know also puts doubt in their minds. And maybe they trade up or do you know things that they wouldn't otherwise do. Um, you know, in the, at the end of the day, though, you know, I keep coming back to this: NFL GMs and personnel decision makers. The one thing they're trying to do is get a talented quarterback on a rookie deal. That's how you build a championship roster. It's the easiest way to do it. And I, you know, every every pretty much every podcast I record, every radio interview I do, I keep coming back to the point that the Chiefs had Patrick Mahomes on a rookie deal. And that's how they were able to build a championship roster. Um, the one guy they were able to keep on the roster that other teams wouldn't have, they were paying a quarterback market value is Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins had a 19 plus million dollar cap hit last year. Is he worth $19 million on the cap sheet? No, he's not that productive of a player. He gets hurt too often. Um, and, but the chiefs were able to wear that contract because they were the Patrick Mahomes had a $4.2 million cap hit, which is like, you know, about $26 million below what his market <laughs> value is. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you're, you can, you can add more talent. You can take on bad contracts. It gives you a lot more flexibility and that's the way you build a championship roster. And when you have an opportunity like the chargers do to draft a talented quarterback and have them on a rookie deal for four or five years, you factor in the team option. That's a no brainer for me. And it's a decision I think that Tom Telesco will make as a very pragmatic decision maker who understands salary cap and roster construction as well as anybody in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. I, I think even going back to what the Eagles did with Carson Wentz, you know, they had that flexibility and even the Rams with Jared Goff. So, you know, I totally agree with you that the rookie quarterback cap hit is really valuable for from a team building perspective. And, and another thing, the Seahawks, the Seahawks won their Super Bowl when Russell Wilson was on his on his rookie yeah. deal. You can yeah. go down. You can go down the list. It's it's the easiest way to build a roster. So I think, you know, most people, as far as mock drafts go, from what I've seen, have uh, pegged the Chargers as a team that's looking to take an offensive tackle uh, in the second round. I, ultimately, I think that there are going to be more going in the first round uh, than people are thinking. I think ultimately they're going to take whoever they think is the best player available in the second round. Do you kind of view it the same way? Yeah, I, it's going to depend on how many of those tackles that you mentioned end up going in the first round. Um, you know, our draft expert at the Athletic, Dane Brugler, said as many as seven could go. And the guys at the back end of that, you know, like Ezra Cleveland, Josh Jones are guys that could potentially go in the first round, but might be there at 37 for the Chargers. So I think that's going to dictate it. 
Um, I think a guy like Ezra Cleveland makes a lot of sense. If he's there at 37, he's very athletic um, and can play left tackle and, and would fit in nicely to with what James Campen's trying to do um, on the offensive line with a little more zone. That, that Anthony Lynn has said they're going to run a lot more zone this year. It's one of the reasons James Campen, the new offensive line coach, was intriguing. Um, the one thing is, uh, you know, they could there, there might be some linebackers there um, in the second round. A guy like Zach Bond, for example, who's sort of, you know, a hybrid between an uh, you know edge rusher and but could fit nicely in that you know will outside linebacker role in Gus Bradley's scheme. Do they go with a linebacker in the second round? If there's a really good receiver there in the second round, a guy like Jalen Rieger, do they go with him? Um, add some speed to, to that offense. They do have options, but at the end of the day, based on what, how Anthony Lynn was talking on his conference call last week, they they are going to add another guy to compete at that tackle spot. Um, and I don't, th- and I think I, someone else besides Sam Tevy is going to be competing there at left tackle. Tevy and, and and then obviously Trey Pipkins will be in the mix. Um, so I think I my gut says quarterback first round, offensive tackle second round. But I could see them going with linebacker or wide receiver in the in the second round if there's a really really good player available there, which is definitely a possibility. Totally makes sense. Um, as far as late round guys that you like, could you maybe highlight some? Uh, some late round targets that you have your eye on. Yes, I wrote a um, piece right after the combine um, looking at some of the um, wide receivers. There's that, that could, they could potentially target, you know, late. Um, Quez Watkins is a guy out of Southern Miss. He ran the second fastest 40 yard dash of any receiver, you know, he was only behind uh, rugs at Alabama. Um, he's a really interesting target. It's really a question of like how early do they want to spend a draft pick on a wide receiver? Um, there's going to be some guys available later on. Um, you know, the third round I've mocked chase Claypool to them. Um, the okay. wide receiver out of Notre Dame. He's so a lot of people were like thinking that he was more of a tight end wide receiver hybrid, but then he yeah. ran a four, four, two at the combine and like blew people away. Um, and so he's a guy that I could think if he's there in the third round, he could make a lot of sense um, as, as a wide receiver. I think ultimately they need to add speed on offense. Um, and that's really what they're going to be looking for later on in the draft. Um, there's a tackle out of Utah, Lecky Fotu. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly because I'm just reading all these guys' names. Um, he met with the Chargers and he could be a really interesting option as a nose tackle. Um, there's a linebacker out of Appalachian State. He's Akeem Davis Gaither, he's um, a guy who could fit very athletic, kind of smaller. And I wrote this in my mock draft that I wrote, I wrote either last week or the week before. Um, you know, he's he kind of is in that Telvin Smith mold, and Telvin Smith obviously obviously flourished in the Gus Bradley scheme in, in Jacksonville as sort of a late round linebacker who people thought might have been a little undersized, a little underweight, but ended up flourishing in that role at the at the will. Um, he was a guy I thought they could potentially target in the third or fourth round. Um, Dane released his mega draft guide that everyone should go check out. If you're a draft nut or a football fan, it's insane. He has like, you know, every position ranked through 100 with scouting reports on like 500 players. It's amazing. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So go check that out. But so I thought Akeem Davis Gaither could potentially be there for the chargers in the third or fourth round, but Dane actually has him rated as like his fourth linebacker in the draft and could be like a second round pick. Um, but if he's, if he's falling, um, and, and other teams aren't as high on him as Dane is. I think Akeem Davis Gaither could be a guy who could fit in really nicely as a, as a later round pick. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's a lot of running backs available. Um, you know, Michael Piran is a guy that, you know, every time I do a mock draft, he's sort of sitting there in the sixth round. 
Um, you know, I know a lot of fans want him to spend on a running back earlier. You know, there's a lot of interesting prospects in the draft, starting with Jonathan Taylor, obviously out of Wisconsin. But, um, you know, I just the way Tom Telesco has built this team, he tends to look for running backs either later in the draft or as undrafted free agents. You can look at Austin Eckler as an undrafted free agent. Justin Jackson was a seventh round pick. So my gut says he's probably going to wait till later and look for, you know, a bruiser type back later in the draft. Um, but yeah, those are some guys. That's awesome. That was a lot of uh, good names for you guys to look out for uh, on mock drafts. And, you know, we're going to be talking about some of those as well. Uh, so I do want to kind of move on to some free agency topics. I know um, Hunter Henry has been a, someone that a lot of people have asked us about. Um, what have you heard as far as him signing his uh, franchise tender and, and the long-term uh, negotiations? Yeah, so basically where that's at right now is, is the tender is going to be on the table and, and Hunter Henry has until um, about mid-July. July 15th is the date. Um, to sign that tender. And basically during that time, the Chargers can negotiate and negotiate with them on a long-term deal. Um, you know, Tom Telesco has said publicly that his goal is to get Hunter Henry signed to a long-term deal. Now, does that come to fruition? You don't really know because, and especially with way, the way things are right now, it's obviously harder to negotiate if you can't get face-to-face with somebody and just a lot of factors that are tough to predict right yeah. now. Um I think that they'll get something ironed out. They obviously love Hunter Henry as a player, and he is unquestionably one of the top two-way tight ends um, you know, blocking and catching football in the league, and you don't really stumble upon those kinds of guys very often. I mean, the issue with, with Hunter is that he has been injury-prone, but I think that's kind of a mis- misleading label because like, the ACL is a freak, like non-contact practice injury. So you can kind of, I guess you can chalk that up to – to being a little injury prone. Uh, but the, you know, anyone who watched the games this past season, know that he took a helmet straight to the kneecap. Like that's just football. There's no real way to like avoid something like that. If you're a tight end catching a ball on the flat, like you're going to have a linebacker diving at your knees. Like it's just the reality of the situation. Sometimes you get a helmet to the knee and your, and your, and your kneecap fractures. Um, I didn't, and you know, the good thing is he came back from that and had a very productive second half of the season. Uh, so I wouldn't really have concerns with, with his injuries, you know, Ultimately, I think that it would be wise for the Chargers to get the long-term deal ironed out, but they have a few months here to, to sort of negotiate it. I don't think it's a really pressing concern right now. That'll be more of a topic of conversation, you know, as we get towards the end of June and that and that um, you know that deadline to sign the tenders on the horizon. The Chargers will you know have a little more incentive to get that deal ironed out. But I would ex- I would expect it to get done. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up signing the tender, just because you never know how these negotiations negotiations will play out. But they do have some time. They do have some time before. Uh, that has to get figured out. So we saw this team, you know, they really addressed some of their big time needs. You know, they signed Limbaugh Joseph, Brian Balaga, Chris Harris, and then obviously they traded for Trey Turner. Uh, did you have a favorite one of those deals that you think is going to be really proven to have the most immediate impact for this team? Hmm. I'm debating between Bulaga and Trey Turner. So I'm going to say both of those. Um, I, 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 I respect Tom Telesco because he said heading into this offseason that, listen, the offensive line wasn't good enough and it's going to be a priority. Now, a lot of personnel decision makers, when they're talking to the media, will say, oh, this is a priority. This is a priority. He put his money where his mouth is and he went out and he made moves to upgrade this offensive line. Um, and he deserves respect for that. Um, you know, the Blago deal made a lot of sense. It was, a, it was an, you know, he's a little bit of an older player. He's, a, he's over 30, but he's a sturdy, offensive, proven offensive tackle in the NFL. 
Um, and they got him at a reasonable deal. It's not like they overpaid for the guy like has happened with other tackles in the, uh, you know, around the league. Yeah. Um, so I like that deal a lot. And then, I mean, the Trey Turner deal was, was brilliant. I mean, they, they traded sure. an, an older left tackle who doesn't really fit well into their scheme that they're trying to run with James Campen, um, who missed a lot of time last year and whose medical conditions are a little bit suspect right now. Um, and they dealt him straight up for a five-time 26-year-old pro brawler in his prime at a spot where they really, really needed an upgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think both those deals were, were fantastic. If I had to pick one of them, the Trey Turner deal was a was a complete steal for Telesco. But I, I just respect the fact that he said, listen, this is a priority, and he went out and he, and he made moves to, to get that done. Yeah, like you said, he put his money where his mouth is. I, th- I still am shocked that they did were able to do that deal for Trey Turner because a player for a player straight up trade in the NFL rarely happens. Obviously, you know, there's usually uh, draft picks or cash considerations thrown yeah. into this. So it was just a really uh, crazy deal. And I, I'm really excited to see what Trey Turner can do in this scheme. I know he's been a very successful uh, guard so far, but I'm really excited to have him in uh, in the powder blues. Yeah, he's a mauler. If you go back and watch him fil- his film, he's an incredibly physical player. So he should fit in well. And I'm also excited to watch him, definitely. So you have calculated the team around seven, eight million dollars left in cap space. You know, I know you floated the Jason Peters deal, um, possibly trading for Trent Williams. Is there maybe someone else that you have in mind besides those two, besides the left tackle position that you could see the Chargers going out and targeting with that remaining cap space? Should I stir the pot a little bit? How about Cam Newton? <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that space could be used on on Cam Newton if he's available. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how many how many guys are really left. I mean, at the end of the day, like for me, the the two the two moves that you mentioned are the ones that make the most sense. Like at this point, the number one need is quarterback, and the number two need is offensive tackle, and then you yeah. can rank wide receiver and linebacker really in any way you want after that. That's really where I'm at with it. Um, so, you know, if I was running the show, I mean, Jason Peters just makes so much sense. He really does. Every time I sit down and write about this, every time I talk about it, I'm just like, this. it just makes so much sense. It does. Like, it, it might be a little bit over the hill, but you're talking about an, an all-time great tackle, and you bring him in on a one-year deal, and you give Trey Pipkins another year to develop. And it seems like a perfect scenario and you could probably get Jason Peters for around how much space you have left to how much space you have left to spend. I mean, it's like, it checks every box. Um, you know, besides that, I, I mean, I guess they could go and try and look for a corner outside corner, but they really like Michael Davis. And honestly, they'd probably be, be better off, you know, using a draft pick on that. Um, so, I mean, if, if I was running the show, I'd be looking at, you know, trying to, plug one of my top two holes with a guy who makes a lot of sense in Jason Peters. That's what I would do. Yeah, I think especially in this uh, scenario where we don't really have an offseason, we're not going to have OTAs at minimum. So getting someone right. in that ha- is a longtime veteran like you're speaking about and, you know, we don't really know how uh, Trey Pipkins is really developing without OTAs. So I think that's a really good idea. It's a, it's a fantastic point that I hadn't really thought of, you know, how much are these young guys really going to be able to, to develop? you know, without OTAs, if, you know, if spring practices get canceled, it's a lot of time on the field that you're not getting. And then, you know, you could apply the same for pretty much any of these guys for Michael Davis on the outside of the corner for Jerry Tillery, at three technique defensive tackle, mm-hmm. you know, how much are any of these young guys going to be able to develop? Um, and then you can even throw a potential rookie quarterback into that conversation, you know? And that's why having a guy like Tyrod Taylor's for them is, 
is so key because if you if you even if you do draft a quarterback and he's in, in a you know normal world he'd be ready to start week one he's certainly not in this world because he's not going to have enough time on the field um so yeah that's a great point it's interesting and and we'll see we'll see how much trey is able to develop but you know i've written this before i don't know if i'm I don't know if I can trust him to be a starter this season based off what I saw last year and, and, and factoring in what you just said about not having the spring practices and that whole offseason program. Yeah, I mean, obviously we hope for the best. We hope that he develops and, and all these uh, young players do develop. But, you know, that's the world we're living in. And, and like you said, the Tyrod, having Tyrod around it is such a blessing for this team because he's so familiar with the scheme, so familiar with what uh, Anthony Lynn wants to do. And, you know, we've seen that theme play out with free agency. You know, all these coaches are going out and getting – um, you know, you saw Matt Rule go and get his former college quarterback because he's familiar with the system and he's familiar mm-hmm. with uh, what he wants to do. So uh, I think we're seeing that familiarity and that emphasis on familiarity play out so far this offseason. No doubt about it. Well, all right, Daniel, we thank you so much for your time. You know, we, first and foremost, we're hoping for uh, health and safety for you and your uh, girlfriend at this time and all of your family, obviously. Uh, Chargers fans, if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, I highly suggest that you do go and do that. Um, They are doing a great 90-day free trial subscription uh, during this time. So definitely go uh, subscribe right now and and follow what uh, Daniel is putting out there. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Everybody stay safe, stay home, hang in there. So, Stephen, other than the linebacker comment you just made, and if you want to expand on that, go for it. But are there any other takeaways you had from this interview? I know like when you talk to guys like Yogi Roth and Eric Williams, I learn a lot. So I'm just curious if you learned anything from from Daniel. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Daniel uh, is really personal. I was really thankful for his time to come on to our show and um, share some knowledge here. But as far as the draft strategy goes, he he thinks that they are really prioritizing linebacker, which is not something I think the casual fan is really uh, anticipating. Like I think if we see them take a linebacker in round two, it wouldn't surprise me at all based on the comments that Daniel Popper was making to us. Um, and then he actually identified some players that um, the Chargers have met with, you know, like like Efo too, that he thinks would be a good fit. Um, he likes Chase Claypool a lot, which isn't necessarily someone that I have liked upon studying, but you know, obviously I trust. Daniel's judgment and if he thinks Chase Claypool is a good fit you know I'll have to go back and and uh listen to some of his comments and and do some more film study there um but he you know similar to what we were talking about the the offensive tackle position you know he's kind of assuming or has the opinion that they're not going to take an offensive tackle early unless a extreme value presents itself so I think all of us in the fan world have this assumption that it's going to be quarterback offensive tackle receiver like some combination of that in the first three rounds and uh that's not the uh, feeling that daniel popper and guys like eric williams are getting you know they have clearly identified their needs and they're going to attack those needs and you know they're comfortable with trey pipkins at left tackle from what i am gathering from daniel popper so uh don't be surprised if they don't take an offensive tackle until later on so this is interesting to me um because i'm one of the like if I'm on the outside looking at it, the Chargers organization, my kind of my kind of deal was quarterback, offensive tackle, receiver. That's always been like my deal. You take a quarterback round one, offensive tackle in round two, and receiver in round three. That would be like the perfect draft for me. And that's the way I started out. And lately, I've kind of been shifting towards. I think corners a bigger need. I do think linebackers a need because Kaiser White uh, 
you know what? We won't talk about him anymore because <laughs> he's not even on the roster. All right. Um, it's just a, it's a dream at this point. So, which kind of just ties into what I'm saying here is their linebacker room is really not that deep, especially oh. when you take into consideration that Kaiser White doesn't play. Um, they have hinted that they want him to play more this season. So that's something to keep an eye on. It might be just a backup plan for them um, in the case they don't get their guy. But lately it's kind of shifted to me to where I'm kind of expecting a quarterback in round one and between a linebacker and a corner for round two at this mm. point. And then I'm not expecting offensive tackle till day three, receiver till day three, running back till day three. Um, it's it's really interesting how the needs for the team are so much different than the needs that fans feel. Yeah. Right. Fans, they want the, they want the Austin Jackson. They want the Mackay Becton, which the chargers have done their homework on Mackay Becton. So obviously they're intrigued. I imagine they're not as intrigued to take him at six, but like if they were to trade down or trade back into the first, or if he fell to the second, um, you never know. So, it's just Mackay Becton feels like an Anthony Lynn guy, though. Just a, a mauler in the run game, which is exactly what Anthony Lynn would want. No, I'd be interested to see if Becton falls, and if so, how much. Because, I mean, we were all freaking out at 28 when Reisner, Taylor, and Ford were there, and they were supposed to go, like, maybe top 15. Taylor's supposed to be the best tackle in the draft or whatever until we found out more, I guess. Um, but, yeah, the, the the idea that they were going tackle in round two – that was something I had before free agency because you will mm-hmm. have you have Sam Tevy there, so of course, yeah, let's get a freaking right tackle finally. But when they you know they got Bulaga now, you know now it's like okay they have they have Pipkins who they reportedly believe in like crazy. I believe Bulaga. in him. Yeah, I believe in yeah for sure. But um, yeah, so now it just seems like offensive tackle isn't gonna get is yeah. gonna get, it's gonna get pushed. And now they have Storm Norton who I don't know really how good he'll be in the NFL, but. There's depth there, so we'll see. I don't think they'll take one, again, barring some incredible draft fall. I don't think they'll take one in the first three rounds, um, if they believe in Pipkins, that is. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. But I wanted to get back to that one thing you said, Jason, about in the second round they could take either linebacker, we just kind of talked about, or corner. All I hear about usually with corner is Okuda at six, or a guy like in every mock draft, it's like Bryce Hall in the third round or something. So can you guys talk about a second round guy that maybe would fit? It's still Bryce Hall for me, I think. Yeah, okay. In the second round. I think it's still Bryce Hall. I think he fits what the Chargers do the best. But then there's also the move they're kind of pushing to play more man, and I don't think Bryce Hall's the best fit for that. He can do it. Mm-hmm. He absolutely can do it. And he's still growing. Obviously, he's a young prospect. So, I mean, for me, it's still Bryce Hall. I feel like in the second round, he's still a steal. He should, he should be a... Yeah. So I think the first round corners we're going to see are Okuda, Christian Fulton, uh, CJ Henderson, and maybe AJ Terrell. I think those four are probably the safest best to go in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we see my guy Jalen Johnson go in the first round. It seems more like a second round type player. Uh, Jeff Gladney, the same thing. Maybe he's a first round. Maybe he's a second. Um, Gladney out of TCU. And then you have Troy Pride, Bryce Hall, Damon Arnett. Um, Trevon Diggs is another one that I've seen kind of all over the map, you know, first, second, third. Um, I think of those ones, you know, obviously we really like Bryce Hall. I love Troy Pride. I think Troy Pride is a great fit 
for what the Chargers are doing. I think he can play man. I think he can play zone. Um, I've actually seen Jeff Gladney mocked to them a few times by some media experts. And I think if they're trying to play man, you know, he's a guy that I really like. I'm much higher on him than Jason is. Um, but I like his tenacity. I like his press man coverage skills. And I think that he would be a good fit. Obviously, I like Jalen Johnson. I think he would be a good fit if they're trying to play more man coverage. So there are options there. And I think just that kind of speaks to, you know, the the depth of certain positions because there there aren't many corners that I like past round three. There aren't many linebackers I like past round three. But there are offensive tackles that I like later. There are receivers that I like later. And so uh, clearly the Chargers are doing their homework and, and kind of taking positional value into consideration here. All right, well, you mentioned Jalen Johnson. So I don't know if you want to get into it with him first, but I want to move on to these players that you guys are very different on. You can take any player you want. They're on our draft board if you guys can view them. They're bolded. Um, on a scale of 1 to 80, these players are differ between these two guys by 10 points or more so it's you know some some guys even way more and we'll get into those uh so is there a guy you guys want to start with or you can start with johnson if you want because i think you guys differ by was it 15 where are we yeah jalen's <laughs> i have jalen johnson graded as a 66 i have a first round grade on him um jason does not jason has him as a 51 so yeah we can start there um, I mean, a lot of people are going to point to this as like, oh, you're a Utah homer. And like, I mean, yeah, I am. I love University <laughs> of Utah. But Jalen Johnson started all three years of the University of Utah. I've seen him grow. I've seen him develop. And everyone kind of points to his man coverage. And I think he's excellent in man coverage. Um, that is the one thing I will say he excels in. But um, I think he's really good in off coverage, too. I think he's very smart. I think he has high football IQ, high awareness. And, you know, I graded him as an A minus B plus in every single category I'm looking for for a corner. Um, but most of all, I think he just brings it mentally. I think he has that dog mentality in him, which is something I really value. I like his tackling skills in the run game. Um, just from an ideal corner standpoint, like he's kind of what I use as my baseline because I've watched him so much. And so I try to take that into consideration of what kind of corner I'm looking for and just someone that is versatile, someone is well-rounded, someone that can be physical at the point of attack in the run game, physical and press man, and I think that's Jalen Johnson. So here's my knocks with Jalen Johnson. First is versatility. I think he's more of an outside corner that plays man. You know, if you're talking about a slot corner that plays zone, I don't like him the best. Um, I don't think he would fit very well in like a in the Chargers cover three scheme, which already limits him to where he could get taken. Um, if you're talking about him as a pure man-to-man corner and like a, the Denver Broncos scheme or maybe even the Oakland Raiders scheme, they play a lot more man these days. Um, I, I I like him there. I don't necessarily like him. I don't – what I'm trying to get at here is his versatility is not the highest. And I don't like his reaction time to when passes are thrown. When you're when you're talking about when the ball is in the air, you would like your corner to be able to react on that quick. I don't see it with Jalen Johnson. Um, then you talk about, I feel like his route concepts, his understanding of route concepts isn't very strong, and uh, so it's hard for him to predict where the where the play is going to go. But I do like his man coverage. I gave him an A there, and I love his ball skills. You know, when the ball is in the air, his ball tracking is really good and. Um, you're talking about a 50-50 ball. Jalen Johnson's probably going to win. Um, 
I love his tackling, and I believe I mentioned this before. I would actually like to see Jalen Johnson play a little strong safety um, at the next level. I really like the thought of Jalen Johnson matched up against like tight ends or setting the edge on uh, with run support. And so I really like the thought of Jalen Johnson playing strong safety in the similar way to that his teammate did, Julian Blackman. I think they're very similar players, actually. They are. Yeah, so they are. I like Jalen Johnson. I actually do. I just not not to, enough to where I would take him in the first round. I would say like day day two, like round two or three. So I still like him. I still like him a lot, actually. And if if the Chargers were a more man to man dependent scheme, which they might be. I would be okay with taking him like early round two. So, I mean, I still like Jalen Johnson a lot. All right. I think Tyler well, was expecting on. a little more. No, that's, no, that's, <laughs> I just no, like, per- like personally, like it's, I just am curious to see like how you have him grade in the other areas because you like his man mm-hmm. coverage. You like his tackling, you like his ball skills. So like if he's an A in those areas, that means he's like a C minus or lower in the other areas that you're looking so, yeah. for. Zone coverage. I have him as a C minus. Um, pressing, so like press at the line of scrimmage. I actually have him as a B minus. I don't like his press too much. I actually like when he's playing off man because okay. it allows him to react a little quicker. And I did say that reaction is a little slower, uh, which is another reason I don't like him in the press because when you're playing off man, it allows you to kind of know where the ball is. Your back isn't to the ball. So in those short routes, gotcha. um, I like him in a I like him in a Tampa two scheme. So you're talking about where he's covering the flats and he gets his eyes on the quarterback. He's going to be really good at that. And if you mix Tampa 2 with press, I think he'll find a lot of success. Um, and like I said, the IQ, those route concepts, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that. I like his overall awareness of the play. I don't like his route concept at recognition. So his IQ actually got a bump because I actually think he's a really smart player. Mm-hmm. He just needs to develop and recognize route concepts a little bit better. And uh, I did give versatility a D because I don't think he could move around too much. So those are the things I'm low on about him, but I still think he's a very good player, and I think you put him in the right scheme and he'll have the chance to be like like an Xavier Rhodes in his prime, not current Xavier Rhodes. <laughs> current Xavier Rhodes is broken. Um, but, yeah, I've seen him mostly mocked by experts to like the Raiders, the Vikings, teams that are running those kind of schemes that um, Jason is talking about. You know, I think the corner position really just comes down to preference. You know, I think Jason has guys who are um, more off coverage zone type players graded higher than I do. Um, you know, I have Jalen Johnson, Jeff Gladney, AJ Terrell graded higher. Well, actually, AJ Terrell is pretty similar for him. Um, but I just think it comes down to preference and really what you're valuing here. Um, I like Jason Johnson a lot. I think he's going to be a, a fantastic corner at the NFL level. I know you guys, for a quarterback, you assign, you have the same attributes, but you assign different values that they could earn for each attribute. Was that just for quarterback? Or was that for all these positions? No, I think it's a mix for all positions. Yeah. Right? Okay. Where, you know, I'll value certain things more than Steven does. Like, I think I posted okay. on Twitter the other day that I value accuracy about as much as I would value um, a running back being able to throw the ball. Jeez. <laughs> um, Accuracy for me, it just like it's nice to have, but it's so easily developed. It really is. You look at Lamar Jackson coming out of college, and accuracy was a huge knock for him. Um, but you can scheme around it. You really can. You can scheme around accuracy. And if a player has a good processor and good arm talent in general, then that accuracy is kind of an afterthought. You know, they'll make the plays. Patrick Mahomes, accuracy was a big knock for me out of college with Patrick Mahomes. Um, mm-hmm. 
Also, the different ways he threw the ball, the different releases, the different off-platform throws. He struggled a lot with that accuracy, and it doesn't really matter too much for him at the NFL level because they got the scheme around him, and he has the arm talent. So even though you see a missed throw here and there, which you do, um, it's kind of an afterthought because you know he can make the plays. You just give your receiver an opportunity. You know, accuracy isn't necessarily um, just whether you make the throw or not. You know, usually when you see a throw really off target, it's not accuracy. It's miscommunication. It's the receiver got pressed at the line of scrimmage and the timing was thrown off. That's when you'll see the really um, off-path off throws. Um, accuracy is more ball placement, you know, like are you hitting him in the chest when the receiver is trailing? Are you throwing him high when the receivers or in the corners underneath? Are you throwing it low if there's a corner or safety incoming to make a hit? It's that kind of stuff. That's what you're talking about with accuracy. And so when you're looking at this a quarterback and looking at his tra- at his traits, I'd take a guy with poise more than I would take a guy with accuracy. You know, because if you have a guy that's traditionally accurate, but he can't handle the pressure, that's that's bad because then he's resorting to his old tendencies when he's under pressure. And so no matter how good this guy is, the second pressure hits, he sucks again. And you see that with quarterbacks in the NFL right now. You see that like Mitch Trubisky's one of them where he'll fix things every once in a while, but then pressure turns him right back into the quarterback he used to be. And so for me, I rate poise more than anything and accuracy. Like it's it's still up there for me, but not nearly as high as those other ratings are. Yeah, I just think in general accuracy is something that's kind of misunderstood. You know, Daniel Jeremiah, Jan Jeremiah posted it. it was one of his forming categories, but I feel like accuracy is the effect of other things. You know, your arm mechanics, your feet mechanics, your footwork, the offensive line, the pressure like Jason's talking about. So I don't think accuracy is as simple as like high completion percentage or QBR or whatever. So I think it's kind of misunderstood. Um, but ball placement, I think, is is more important than obviously like completing throw. Like Lamar Jackson had a really low completion percentage in college but you could tell the ball placement was there like he throws a good ball and you could tell that from day one like okay he's not like the most mechanically fine-tuned quarterback but you could see the arm talent there like Josh Allen is very similar like you could see the strong arm you could see the touch it's just his mechanics were off and they still are um so it really just comes down to that aspect of coaching like you know Tim Tebow is another one where Tim Tebow he was accurate quote-unquote in college but because his mechanics were terrible, he never became an accurate passer in the NFL, which is why he's not playing anymore. Um, but yeah, there are other there are other traits I think that are more important than accuracy because you can coach that up. Um, you know, I think as far as like one of the things that I value a lot more than most people are is the ability to throw with anticipation for a quarterback because I feel like you have to do it on every single play in the NFL. Like, you know, we're so used to seeing Philip Rivers throw with anticipation, and Philip Rivers can't make those throws if because uh, he's immobile in the quarterback's position. You have to be able to throw with anticipation. You have to be smart. You have to read the defense. And so I think anticipation is really underrated as well. And um, for me, like, when it comes to the quarterback position, first and foremost is the mental aspect of the game. Like, I need to know that my quarterback is going to be able to mentally have an advantage over the defense that he can read the defense that he can anticipate their moves that he can understand route concepts that he knows where his receivers are going to be and throw with anticipation all right so looking over your big board your list your position rankings and whatever i noticed that jason was higher in pretty much 
every skill position category, receiver, running back, you know, linebacker, corner, safety, quarterback. But it flip-flops between you guys when it comes to offensive tackle, interior offensive lineman, and defensive tackle. So I've come to the conclusion, Jason hates fat people. So Jason, can you tell me <laughs> why? Wow. Can you tell me why you're wow. so much lower on? I just want to know, like, because when it comes to like tackle and interior t- offensive lineman, you're like ten to fifteen points below almost every right. player Stephen has graded. I just wanted to kind of hear what you think of the whole class, or you can pick an individual player. Okay, Stephen, I want to know why you see this as such a good class. So this is going to be a broad answer almost. like It's not Mm going to be specific to each player. Um, I just think this wide receiver class is insane, right? When you're looking at this wide receiver class, uh, you have maybe 20-something day two guys, right? Or day one to two guys. Um, Linemen, I would say there are maybe six day, day one to two guys. And then the rest are day three guys. So that's just one thing is the demand of the players. There's a lot more good receivers than there are good offensive linemen. Like for me, I have three offensive linemen with a first round grade and then three that immediately go down to like second to third round grade. So it's just the demand at the position. I think there's more receivers that are good. And then there's also, I didn't really grade the bad receivers. I graded, I, I went through the list with offensive tackle. Like I went and found every offensive tackle I could and I graded them. Whereas with wide receiver, I stopped after like 20 something because there's just too many. Uh, there's so many good receivers, so I stopped after like twenty something, and I didn't go and grade the the lower guys because, you know, there's a lot more draftable wide receivers and running backs than there are draftable offensive linemen because offensive linemen is a harder position to play in my opinion. Like translating from college to the to the pros, at offensive line is a really hard thing to do. So, you know, I'm, you even go to the bottom of my list where there's Charlie Heck. You know, I graded him with a 27. Like, you're getting into a territory where this guy's not going to work out at the NFL level, and you could just tell. Like, maybe he's a practice squad guy, and maybe his coach gets the best out of him. But for me, that's not a that's not a guy that's going to succeed at the NFL level. And so when you're going and looking for more offensive tackles below even that, now you're just kind of getting into a waste of time, right? Where it's just, it's, it's not going to work out. Now, maybe I go and find some sleeper out of uh, Western Greenland or something. But or like Northern Alaska University, I don't know Western but, Greenland. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just those aren't real. By the way, I just want to clarify those are not real school. I don't think they are. Um, I don't know. I'll look it up later and get back to y'all. But it's just you know when I'm grading these wide receivers, I stopped at Gabriel Davis at a 44, and I was starting to tell like, okay, now below this is where I'm going to start getting uncomfortable right these guys i'm not going to be comfortable drafting them but with offensive tackle um you're talking about i had 15 with the with the draftable grade like down to yasir durant with a 40 that's not bad you know that's not a bad offensive tackle class by any means that's actually a pretty good offensive tackle class and you also just have to factor in that this wide receiver class is definitely insane like you're not you're talking about one of the deepest wide receiver classes ever and as i've as we said in the big board section uh the big board episode of the podcast we just each ranking each position we rank differently and we value different traits in each one so wide receivers these traits might grade out differently than offensive line does so it's tough to go from wide receiver to offensive tackle and compare them equally and say 
well, I obviously value wide receiver more in this class, which I mean, I do, but it it doesn't exactly work like that. I don't know if you guys understand what I'm saying quite. No, totally. I, I agree with you because offensive line in general is so dependent on coaching that it's really hard to identify the great offensive lineman in college because there's really only four or five. And like, you know, if those of you have that have watched my breakdown on Jedrick Wills, like Alabama was perceived to have a great offensive line this past year and the past in years past. But when you point out Jedrick Wills and what he does well, you notice the other offensive linemen who are really struggling at what Jedrick Wills is doing. And so I just think because offensive line is such a harder position to develop and such a harder position to excel at, that's why I was able to put a guy like Jedrick Wills so much higher on my grading scale because him being elite presents more value than a guy like Denzel Mims being elite because you can find a Denzel Mims, you know, way down the list. And like you look at modern NFL right now, you know, Devontae Adams was a mid-round pick. Keenan Allen was a mid-round pick. So first-round receivers almost never work out these days. And so, but on the other side, the best offensive tackles in the league have all been first, second-round picks. So I think it's just the positional value and how each of us are interpreting that positional value. So I think a good offensive tackle is rare, and so his grade needs to represent that to me. Whereas a good red receiver is, like Michael Pittman is wide receiver 25 for me, but he's very good, but that's just the the nature of the position. Right, and, you know, you look at guys like Prince Tego Wanogo, you know, that Steven has a 56 on, I have a 44 on him. Um, but even if, if I ask Steven right now, like, do you think Prince Tego Wanogo is guaranteed to be a success at the NFL level, even though Steven has a higher grade on him, the answer is probably going to be no. Like, yeah, yeah, it would be a no. It depends on where they go. It depends on what's around them. Like, for example, if the Chargers roll with Dan Feeney at left guard or say they roll with Trent Scott at left guard, God forbid. Let's go with that example. Say, God forbid, Trent Scott goes to left guard and they take Prince Tega Wanogo to be the left tackle well now there's less stability on that left side so now there's a higher chance that he fails see offensive line is such a cohesive unit it's like the weakest link you need them to be strong across the board or there's going to be some struggle which is why depth at the offensive line is so valuable as well you know if one guy goes down you're in trouble i mean we saw this with dan feeney because when uh, russell mm -hmm. okung and mike pouncey were there dan feeney was very good and then you put trent scott there and scott questenberry i mean i love scott questenberry individually but because that cohesive, that chemistry wasn't always there, Dan Feeney's play suffered. Right. And so, you know, offensive line is a lot harder of a position to go out there and, and find. So that's why I kind of have a lower grade on them. Like if I were to put Prince Tego Wanogo next to um, Robert Hunt, for example, it, it probably wouldn't be a successful uh, experiment. But if you were to put Robert Hunt next to Andrew Thomas, well, now you're talking about, well, now Robert Hunt could probably work out at left guard, right? So it's just... It's so dependent. It's so hard to tell. Yeah. And you really never know. Like, I think offensive line in general is more fluid as far as success goes than any other position in the league because it's such a physical, physically demanding position. Like, you look at what Forrest Lamp has gone through. Forrest Lamp was considered a no-brainer pick in the second round. But everyone thought he was a tackle, and the Chargers moved him to guard, and then he got hurt, and he got hurt again. Then he doesn't have the offseason – uh, which is another thing that Daniel Popper actually talked about uh, with me is the lack of offseason and how it's going to affect guys. Like 
sure Trey Pipkins right now is training in the right direction, but with a lack of offseason, we don't know how he's developing. We don't know what his training regimen is right now. And I think that's going to carry over to the draft class too because I think we're going to see more offensive tackles go in the first round than people are thinking because the really good ones, like you have to snag them. So I would love it, Ezra Cleveland at 37. I don't know if he's going to be there because I think he's probably going to be a first-round pick because everyone knows how hard it is to find a good offensive tackle. And um, I just think that's the difference there. Interesting. Thank you for discussing that, guys. Let's talk about a player that Jason's a little higher on than Steven is, and that's J.J. Taylor running back. Steven, are you a little bit lower on him just because of size? and Or what is the, uh, I mean, what's it, the difference it's, here? It's tough to evaluate him because he is so small. And like mm-hmm. I, and you know, I've watched him play against Utah several times and other teams in the Pac-12. Um, just like I can see him having a positional role where as a third down guy, but I don't see him honest. I honestly I don't see him working out as like an every down player because I haven't seen him in college handle a physical workload to the scale of like a Zach Moss, DeAndre Swift. Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, like I, I just didn't see it. So I can see him being a, a valuable third down back because that's what I have seen. I've seen him in the passing game. I've seen him be elusive. He he is physical out on the edges, but if you're asking him to run between the tackles and in outside zone schemes, I, I just haven't seen enough of him being able to handle that workload because it hasn't happened yet. So um, ultimately it just depends on how I value the three down back. And I want my guy, if I'm drafting a running back, I want him to be able to do everything that a running back should be able to do. And I don't think that JJ Taylor can offer that physical upside. Yeah. it's kind of interesting. That's like you and uh, Jalen Johnson where like Jason doesn't like him as much because he's not as versatile or he has at least him a little bit lower because of that. So that's interesting. You guys see it a little differently. So, so Jason, why is JJ Taylor the third running back on your, on your big board? So this is where you're going to see the biggest difference here. I don't value a three down back that much right? I actually don't believe in a three down back, like the Melvin Gordons or such like that. And JJ Taylor brings what I do value. He brings momentum buildup prior to the line of scrimmage. He brings receiving potential and he brings good pass pro. And so if you're talking about protecting your quarterback, those are the three things you want. You want somebody that can go and get your two, three yards by building momentum in those situations to bring up second and shorter or third and shorter. And you want somebody that can catch the ball out of the backfield against the blitz. You want somebody that can bring the pass pro when there's an extra rusher. Um, that's a va- that's a very valuable player for me. And so you talk about J.J. Taylor, who really builds up that momentum really well prior to the run, which is a trait that the Chargers really covet. You know, with Justin Jackson and Austin Eckler, they both build up momentum. Brandon Oliver built up momentum. So they obviously value this in a running back. And it's for a good reason. This is this is why they find good running backs. It's because these traits they value that really fit what they want to do. And J.J. Taylor does it, okay? So I guess watching the Chargers and learning their scouting process has kind of made me higher on those kinds of players. You know, I'm starting to I'm starting to understand why the Chargers covet and really want these players on their football team, and it's just because these guys are more successful than often than not. Like, more often than not, they're successful. And so J.J. Taylor, I just think he brings a skill set that is really valued in today's NFL. You know, you, you want your Tariq Cohen on your team. You want your Darren Sproles on your team now. Um, whereas guys like Jonathan Taylor, you know, yeah, he's a third three down back, quote unquote, but how, how much potential is he going to bring to that receiving game? 
you know, how much potential is he going to bring as a pass blocker? Because I actually do have questions about that. I have questions about him as a pass blocker. I actually have ball security issues with Jonathan Taylor that I just don't have with JJ Taylor. He protects he protects the football pretty well. And so you just want to talk about what I what I value in a running back. And JJ Taylor is kind of the model of that, you know. And um, if I had to bet on even Jonathan Taylor and JJ Taylor, who's going to be better? Like who's going to have a more productive career? I actually think it's going to be JJ Taylor. I think JJ Taylor is going to be around for like 13 years, you know, as that that just guy that never goes away, who's always doing something on the football team, whether it's returning punts, kicks, blocking and pass protection or receiving the ball out of the backfield or, you know, taking a draw up on third and three to get a first down, just that kind of stuff, man. I just think JJ Taylor is going to be really productive for a long time. Yeah, we've seen that You know, even with the Eagles with Boston Scott, their offense was drastically different once they figured out that Boston Scott was good in the passing game. So I totally get what Jason is, is hinting at here. I just, at the end of the day, I think, you know, the passing down guys, yeah, they're going to be around longer. And if you have a really good passing down back, that presents more value than a traditional running back, which we have seen here in L.A. with Melvin Gordon obviously not coming back to the team. Um, and for the record, I'm against taking a running back in round one or two in general just because I think it's such a position of depth every single year that you can find you know, a guy like Zach Moss, a guy like um, – Darrington Evans or someone like that that can be an every down back Cam Akers is another one that you can find later on it's just if I'm drafting a guy you know J.J. Taylor's a little bit different because I think he's probably gonna be a sixth or seventh round target but like if I'm looking at a guy like Zach Moss or Clyde Edwards Hilaire or Darrington Evans you know Benjamin if I'm drafting them I want to have full confidence that they could do every single role that I would ask them to do and so that's kind of like the scale that I'm looking at uh in running backs in general like if i draft jj taylor my do i know him with 100 percent? like if austin eckler goes down that he could do every single thing that i would want out of a running back and i just i i just don't jason do you think he can do what eckler can do no no that's not why you're drafting him. you're drafting him for <laughs> yeah. a specific need you're drafting him okay. for a specific role yeah. you're not drafting him to go be austin eckler you're drafting him to be the receiving back while justin jackson is a runner or be the receiving mm-hmm. back while austin eckler's the runner um, just like Austin Eckler is more the receiver to where Melvin Gordon was the runner, you know? Right. And I feel like with these roles that the Chargers go and find these guys and place them and you scheme around it, that's when you find the most successful talent, you know? And so I just, I feel like I gave JJ Taylor a 60 because he does those things at an elite level. Whereas a lot of these running backs below him, they, they do good things and they're solid. They might be solid across the board with C pluses and such. Uh, but JJ Taylor has an elite role. Whereas a lot of these receivers do not have an elite role or these running backs, sorry, do not have an elite role. So I value that elite role that JJ Taylor brings more than the elite role of a between the tackles runner that say Jonathan Taylor would bring. And for the record, I do like JJ Taylor. I think that JJ Taylor would be a fantastic pick in the sixth or seventh round uh, because he's a really good fit. Like Jason is talking about. It's just as, as I graded the running backs as a whole, like that's what I'm looking for is that all around potential and, um, that's like the difference between us. So like, again, I like JJ Taylor. I'm not trying to say that I don't like JJ Taylor at all. I think he'd be a great pick. It's just the grade is, is different because of the way that we are valuing the running back traits. So question it- for you before sure. we move, before we go any further with this conversation, then if you were grading them by receiving, like a receiving back, not a running back, a receiving back, where would JJ Taylor be? Mm, as just a receiving just a third down guy I'm gonna put out wide maybe or do some angle routes I think he would be 
first or second. I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire would probably be first or second, and J.J. Taylor would be first or second. And then and you know, Antonio Gibson, I think, I have him as a receiver, not a running back, so that's clarified there. But if I can throw Antonio Gibson in there, I think that would be one, two, three, as far as receiving potential goes. See, so that's kind of my argument there, right, is that if he is of the top three in receiving backs and receiving back is becoming more and more valuable at the NFL level and you add in that pass protection, you bring somebody to the field that is elite at his job. He's elite at his responsibility. You know, how would you grade, how would you grade Melvin Gordon in terms of vision? Not very well, right? But as a power runner was, he's elite for what he was. Um, Austin Eckler, you probably wouldn't rate him very well as an in between the tackles runner but he's elite at what he does in the receiving game, which is kind of what I'm getting at with uh, J.J. Taylor, is he's elite at what he does, so he's worth that high grade. That's actually a really good argument. I'm I'm not even going to try and refute that. What were the attributes then that you graded them on? Can you list them for me? So I've got balance. So just in terms of can they take a hit and stay on their feet, or can they regain, can they recover? Uh, I've got elusiveness. Can they avoid those hits and avoid needing to use their balance? Um, just general athleticism. So can they hit that next gear? Are they, do they have good lateral movement? Um, this it's mainly more of a, more of a speed thing. Like Javon Leak, he's able to hit different gears very, very quickly. Um, same with Darrington Evans. So they can make an, a safety's angle. He'd look foolish. Um, then I got receiving. I value receiving very highly. And basically this is just, you know, how good is their route running? Can they chip and go? Are they able to catch the ball well? How good are they at what levels of the field? It all changes based on that. Uh, vision. Vision is very important to me after suffering through Melvin Gordon's rookie year. <laughs> so I had to. I have to I have to grade that highly. Uh, agility. So that's more focusing on the lateral movement part of the athleticism. Power. You know, that's self-explanatory. Can they lower their shoulder and knock somebody out? Um, which, surprisingly, J.J. Taylor kind of can, which is interesting to me. Um, then you got pass pro pass pro is definitely very important, especially if you're looking at a guy as a three down back and then momentum, which is something that the chargers really, really value in their running backs. So I had to include it into there. Yeah. So pass pro or blitz pickup is one that I think is, I have that higher up than Jason does, because I think if you can't, if you can't do blitz pickup, you're not playing like that's simple as that. Yeah. So, uh, that being said, blitz pickup is really, it's really bad. And most of the running backs in this class, I think J.J. Taylor is really good at it. Um, Cam Akers is really good at it. And Michael Warren is really good at it from Cincinnati. Um, those were like the three best ones that I saw. Um, and then it's really a coachable thing. But, you know, just judging on, off of it right now, it, it's it's a tough thing to watch. Because if you see a running back who's bad at, blast, at blitz pickup, which we were watching. Uh, Jason and I were watching James Morgan before this and his running back never, 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 never did a good job of blitz pickup. And just you, if your running back can't uh, pick up blitzes, then you hang your quarterback out to dry. So um, that thing is, is definitely something that I really value a lot as well. So is this more like a, not that he's terrible at one thing. He just, you just kind of had him a little bit lower everywhere. And it just, that, that's why there's a 12 point difference here for JJ Taylor. Yeah. Like Jason, yeah. like I do have him as a, as I said, in the number one or number two, um, receiving down back. It's just the other aspects of the game that I, I don't. Interesting. Cool. All right, let's move on to receivers. Now I've highlighted Van Jefferson for you guys, Jason, you have him as your receiver three. 
Steven, you have him as a receiver, I think, 17? So yeah, 17. Where's the difference there? So Van Jefferson, for me, I value, and I've said this way too many times at this point of this podcast, I value separation. You know, can a receiver separate? And if you want to talk about maybe the best receiver at this class at doing so, other than maybe Jerry Judy, it's probably Van Jefferson. So Van Jefferson, he just, he just brings so many nuances to his route running that I think he's just going to find success. You know, you talk about Terry McLaurin and Keenan Allen. Those guys were really nuanced out of college with their route running. And Van Jefferson is the same way. And so if I had to bet on a receiver to have a really successful career, I'm just going to bet, I'm going to bet on Van Jefferson because, you know, you, you bring a guy that rounds out his slants. He's probably not going to have a very successful rookie year. But Van Jefferson, he's not going to come in and do that. He's going to come in and run a very sharp route. He's going to look off his defender. He's going to turn his hips. He's going to look away with his eyes. And he's going he's gonna to run a solid route. And his, his quarterback is going to have a lot of trust in him. And so I think he's going to put up a lot of productive games in, in 2020. And I think he's going to have a productive career as well. And, you know, it's not just that with Van Jefferson as well. You know, he brings speed to the position. I think he's a lot faster than people have talked about. I think he's probably like a 4-4-5 four, four, guy. And so he would automatically be the fastest receiver on the Chargers, which they desperately need. But aside from that, you know, you talk about somebody who can, you know, he can win in the short routes and he can win deep. That's a versatile receiver. You know, not a lot of receivers can do that. And so Van Jefferson just really shot up my board when I saw that it wasn't just the short route running. It was the comebacks, the posts. He has a lot of nuances to all levels of his game. Um, and he's really good at understanding the zones in front of him and finding the gap in those zones. And he's really good at manipulating the coverage to his advantage and then winning with the leverage game of getting inside the corner if he's running an inside route or getting outside the corner if he's running an outside route. And considering his frame as well, blend it with that route running and that speed. And he's just a perfect all-around receiver that I think isn't talked about enough because of his age. He's going to turn 24 in his rookie season. And so I think if he, if he was younger, he would be getting a lot more hype in the first round because um, I do think he's a first-round talent. And then just with Van Jefferson, I think he has really good hands as well. You know, there's not a lot of – there's no blemish to Van Jefferson's game. Uh, maybe you could say ball tracking, maybe. But even then, I'm it's still in a position where I'm comfortable with it at this point. So just with Van Jefferson, there's no blemishes in his game, and I think he's – you know, you add the no blemishes to where he's solid across the board with his elite route running, and you have a really good player. This one, uh, Jason's kind of talking me into Van Jefferson a little bit more. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I like Van Jefferson. You know, when I first watched him, I was like, dang, this guy, you know, he really reminds me of Keenan Allen. He really does. Um, but this also really speaks to the depth of this receiver class. Like, the depth here is crazy crazy good and you know right now i have van jefferson as 17 i honestly don't know like i'll have to go back and rewatch him some more to see where i'll move him up because i mean jason's talking me into him um but i right now like there's 16 guys ahead of him that i really like and so i think this is just speaks of the depth of the receiver class and and like i said van jefferson would be a great fit in la i think you know you deal with the quote-unquote limitations but like jason is saying you watch him on film and he looks like a 445 maybe 45 type player and i would be okay with it all right so let me have steven now defend someone that he likes a lot more and i know you know who i'm talking about it is a certain utah interior defensive lineman we talked about on the last episode <laughs> you were 
very passionately upset that Jason had like a what a day three grade on him or something. So yeah, uh, talk about him. So Lecky Foto, like I've I've met Lecky, I've stood next to Lecky, and he just you know I'm six three two sixty, and Lecky makes me feel like a really small human being. Um, and I know that he hasn't done the whole pass rushing thing a lot. Like I, I know what Jason his weakness is that Jason thinks that he. It, not thinks, but his grade is low in the pass rushing department. I know that he can be a pass rushing tackle if he wants to. Like I've seen it happen enough in glimpses where I have confidence that he could do it. It's just the way that Utah used him and rotated guys. You know, he's not the best pass rushing tackle. Like I'll admit that, but the way that Utah would rotate guys at the defensive tackle position, he wasn't afforded as many opportunities as the other ones. But I would invite anyone that likes Lucky Foto to go back and watch his game against USC and tell me if you think that that guy is not a really, really good defensive lineman. Like, I think he is a little bit more raw than my grade presents, but that's just because I've seen him over the course of four years do things at the defensive tackle position that people his size generally cannot do. Like, I think uh, Jake Hefner actually posted a video of him on Twitter and um, he's just an insanely good athlete for how big he is and how large he is. And I, I know like of the defensive tackles in this class, like obviously I'm a Utah guy and I'm biased, but of anyone outside of the first few guys, Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw, Jordan Elliott, Neville Gallimore, anyone else past that group, if I had to bet on someone becoming a very productive defensive tackle, it's going to be lucky foe too. So yeah, with me, it was just, I almost, here's the thing. I really, really, really want to separate run-stuffing D-tackles and, like, three techs. Like Jerry Tillery? Because it's so different. Mm -hmm. It really is. You're talking about the difference between, like, Javon Kinlaw and Lecky Fotu. You know, that's hard to do. You can't just... Yeah. Speaking of Javon Kinlaw, I'm 13 points different than Steven Lindat, too. So I kind of want to talk about that. But first, Lecky Fotu... With Votu, it's just, you know, you talk about a run-stuffing D-tackle, it's, it's a dime a dozen. You can go find these guys. And we talked about this last episode, I believe, where you can go find your Sylvester Williams in the middle of the season to help you defend the run. You cannot go find your Javon Kinlaws in the middle of the season to help pat, rush the passer. You can't go find Quentin Jefferson in the middle of the season uh, to help you rush the passer from the interior, which is so much more valuable than just being able to stuff the run, you know. And stuffing the run is important. To the extent to where if you can't do it, that's not good. But if you can do it, you're fine. You know, that's about the extent of a run-stuffing defense. Um, as long as you can somewhat be average at it, you'll be fine. But if you're, like, you know, giving up five yards a pop, then you're in trouble. Um, but Lucky Fotu, it just re- it really depends where he goes, you know. I If we're talking about a run-stuffer, I would say he's probably one of the better ones in this class. Um like top two between him and Derek Brown, maybe. Um, but in terms of pass rushing, I would say he's like bottom two, you know, and my grades kind of inflated on him almost because I graded that so highly, but it's also kind of deflated because I graded the pass rushing so lowly. So it's just really hard with Lecky Fo too. You know, if I was strictly talking as a run stuffing D tackle, he would probably be up in the fifties or sixties. Um, but from a pass rushing perspective, he'd be down in the twenties. Um, and it really is, as Steven said, from limited usage at Utah, you know, that he was used primarily as a one tech and he saw a lot of double teams and his job was really to just swallow up 
the 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 blocking lanes and he did his job really well um he does have really good athleticism and closing speed which i wasn't expecting steven talked about jake hefner on twitter showing a video wasn't i didn't see that play i just want to clarify that i never saw that play (laughs) so um i grade his athleticism a little lower uh so he might be like a 43 ish that rather than a 41 ish, but it's still lower for me just because I, I need to see consistent pass rush from my D tackles. I need to see bursts. I need to see moments where it's just like this man can wreck games. You know, that if you get an interior defensive lineman that can rush the passer, you can wreck games. And like Ifotu, he might be able to ruin a game plan in terms of like running the ball on a scripted drive, but can he wreck a game? You know, can he wreck a game by rushing the pass the passer from the interior? I don't think he can. Yeah, that's just the the difference here because, like, I have seen him do that, and so, but I've been watching him for four years, and I've been watching him, you know, close and personal. So, um, it's just the usage point, like Jason is saying. I know he, that he can do it. It's just that he didn't do it a whole lot because, you know, they rotate five six guys at defensive tackle at Utah because they want to keep their guys fresh and ultimately they let their defensive ends do all the pass rushing. Their D tackles are more, you know, we're just going to not let the quarterback step up. We're just going to create a wall. Like that's what they prefer their defensive tackles to do. So it's just a usage thing. And, and I've seen it in glimpses where I know that he will be able to do that at the next level. All right. The last player we're going to talk about is linebacker Logan Wilson. Jason, you have him as you are linebacker number one. And that's not including um, Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker. So Talk about him. Why are you so much higher on him and over the entire rest of the class? So Logan Wilson displays an insane blend of range and length. So when you talk about, you know, his length as a player, um, just going to double check what I have him as. Uh, so he's 6'2", 240. So not the, not the tallest guy, but he does have a really nice wingspan for his size. And I really like that he's able to blend block shedding with pass coverage. All right, so normally you got your guys in the mid-rounds where they're a specialist, right? And Logan Wilson's often talked about as like a round three guy where they're good at one or the other. They're not good at both. If you're good at both, you're a first-round pick, right? But Logan Wilson is like this rare case where he's very aware. He's very good in coverage. He has a lot of range there, and he can still be very supportive against the run. So, you know, he's really good again. He's really good at just like getting his hands on an offensive lineman before they get their hands on him and just getting him out of the way. You know, get out of my way. I'm going to make this play. And you got to love that about a linebacker. He has really good toughness, like one of those quote unquote blue collar guys. Um, but man, you just, you watch him in back to pack plays, shoot a gap and make a play in the backfield. And the very next play, drop back into coverage and then go attack the flats and make. Uh, make a tackle against a make a, like a flat route. You watch those two things back to back, and you just can't help but appreciate it from Logan Wilson. There's not a lot of linebackers that can consistently do that, and he does. So, I mean, is making him my number one linebacker too rich? Eh, maybe, but you know, it's just you find a guy sometimes where you're just like, he can do it all at the linebacker position. And it's really hard not to like a player that can do that because generally when you find a player that can do that, it's a first-round pick. Logan Wilson is not thought of as a first-round pick. I think he should be because that versatility at a linebacker position is pretty freaking rare. And once you're going from Logan Wilson, Patrick Queen, Kenneth Murray, and Akeem Davis-Gaither, after that it kind of drops off quite a 
bit mm-hmm. when you're when you're going into the lower the lower tiers. Um, so, I mean, you just I watched Logan Wilson and I don't see a third round pick. I see the best linebacker in the class and I see a day one pick. Yeah. So when we're talking about the linebacker position, I, it's just it's so tough to find you know an impact linebacker like true three down impact linebacker down the road and you know like a day three pick that's going to come in and be a true impact linebacker that's going to last six seven eight years you know we all thought Jatavis Brown was going to be that and look what's happened um but what I'm going at with this is like you can find a linebacker that's really good in run support and that grade is going to reflect that like I look at a guy who I have ahead of Logan Wilson Troy Die but that's because he's really really good in run schemes like I think he's really aware in uh attacking the run the opposing running game but he's really weak in pass coverage and so like I would rather have Logan Wilson than Troy Die but I think just from like a grade perspective I think the explosive plays as far as the running game, I didn't see it a whole lot with Logan Wilson where he shoots the gap and tack- gets a tackle for a loss. Like, that's why I have Chris Orr so high because Chris Orr is a master at blowing running plays up for tackles for loss. But again, I think I would rather have Logan Wilson than Chris Orr as far as being on the Chargers. And I'm not going to lie, like Logan Wilson, when I watch him play on tape, he really reminds me of Nick Vigil who the Chargers have because he's so aware. He really diagnoses plays really well. And I think from a mental standpoint, I think Logan Wilson is the number one linebacker in the class. Like I will agree that there are certain things that he does better than anyone. And and mentally he's, he's the best. He has the best linebacker processor of anyone that I've graded. Um, it's just like the explosive sideline to sideline range and then blowing up running plays. I didn't see the whole lot from him. That being said, he's my linebacker seven, so it's not like I'm saying that I don't like Logan Wilson, and I think he is a great fit for what the Chargers want to do. It's just, the again, with the traits and the attributes that we are grading, Logan Wilson was a little bit lower on some of them and higher on other parts than the other linebackers. And, you know, I know that you don't want to have a guy like Denzel Perriman be your only true linebacker because he's weak in pass coverage, but at the end of the day, you want to have a linebacker that can really cause some havoc in the running game. And I just don't know if Logan Wilson can do that. Just one more thing before we cut out of here is, you know, if you had say Denzel Perryman on the field versus Logan Wilson, Denzel Perryman, I would rate a lot higher in terms of explosiveness, being able to shoot that gap. And I think Steven was saying that here is he would rather have Nick Vigil than Denzel Perryman on the field, even though Denzel Perryman might be a more explosive, he might grade way higher against the run. Nick Vigil is a lot smarter. He's a lot more patient and he's not going to let a run get past him. Um, Whereas Denzel Perryman is going to miss at times. He's going to, you know, he's going to not be good against the pass coverage, which is what today's NFL demands of these linebackers is to be good in that coverage. So just to leave it off, if you if you find a linebacker that you really believe in in coverage, it is a it's a rare thing and it's very invaluable to have. So that's that's kind of why I'm a little higher on Logan Wilson than other people might be. Is just give me any linebacker in this class to defend the pass, and I'll pick Logan Wilson. Yeah, I agree with that. And he's he's really is so smart, and he diagnoses plays really fast. And that's the tough thing about this is because I would rather have Logan Wilson than the guys that I mentioned. 
is just from a grading standpoint, like you have to right. take, like you have to take into consideration what these players are doing. And Logan Wilson is great on downs two and three, but the other guys are really great on downs on the first down. So it's just kind of weighing that uh, the attributes and what you're seeing on tape. And so, you know, maybe in the future when I'm grading players, like I'll, I'll take more value into what kind of players like Logan Wilson are doing, because that's what we've seen be successful. Um, it's just the, the tape right now, you know, that's, that's what I'm looking at. And, you know, that's something that will evolve for me as I continue in this process. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening on Friday. We have our fan mocked draft episode 2.0. So please get in your mock drafts to Steven. Please make them somewhat realistic. Please don't trade one pick for 37 Dallas Cowboys picks. I know like the simulators let you do that, but try to keep it somewhat realistic, but we'll go over them. Hopefully not take an hour and 45 minutes this time. Uh, and then after that, on Tuesday, next Tuesday, we're going to have our own mock draft, what the Chargers will do. And then we're that's it. We're in the draft. So we're really, really close, really, really excited. Uh, Jason and Steven, where can the Chargers Twitter account follow you guys on Twitter? Yeah, honestly, follow us, GAC Podcast 17, <laughs> Steven and I Hagland. And then also, if you sent us a mock draft previously and we did go over it on the episode, uh, we want to see some creativity in the different mock drafts that you send us i'm not saying like trades or anything like that like i want you to be able to mix it up and kind of see what you are looking for outside of the same players that you already sent us take francis bernard in the first round (laughs) surprise us not what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) no just uh you know yeah just keep it creative you know we see bryce hall taken all the time in the third round and we see Tua taking all the time in the Austin first Jackson round. Austin Jackson in the second. Austin Jackson in the second. Yeah. Um, you know, surprise us a little bit. You know, we talked about today how the Chargers are a little bit higher on linebacker and maybe even corner than offensive tackle and receiver. So maybe send us some mocks with a linebacker in the second round or a corner in the second round and just see how it plays out. See if you could find the offensive tackle you want later. See if you could find a receiver you want later. Find some new players that you like. Uh, like for example, that's the way I found Isaiah Coulter is I started, you know, addressing different needs earlier. And then I would look at some later guys, later receivers to see what I got. And Isaiah Coulter out of Rhode Island is somebody I really like. So, you know, that's a good way to find some new players. So be creative and find some guys early. Uh, you can find me at C- at Centauri 13 on Twitter at GAC podcast 17 on Instagram. And, um, y'all stay safe and have a good one. Absolutely. Stay safe. Thank you again, Daniel, for joining us today. This is Tyler. You can find me at Tyler J. Shoon, and we'll see you on Friday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.